Let's take our Bibles this morning. I want to do something. Show me your Bible. And if you have an electronic device, don't be embarrassed. We still love you. But I, I want to see what it looks like, okay? Yeah, there we go. Because, you know, at Alberta Baptist Church, we're, we're going to reemphasize that this morning. But what we want to do is everything is based on the authority of God's Word. And I encourage you to bring your Bible so that you'll see for yourself what God says about these things. And today we want to continue what we began last Sunday, which was entitled A Place to Belong. What kind of environment should the church be? Not just Alberta Baptist Church, but any place who claims to be a church. What kind of environment should be there? We want to see that from the Word of God. And, and our desire is to create an environment of acceptance here at Alberta Baptist Church. So we began last week, how can we create an environment of acceptance? The outline in your bulletins, the same one we had last week, and it was really foolish of me to think that I could get through all that last week, and I may not finish today, but Kobe said I have to because he's gonna pick it up next Sunday, and we're gonna continue with this because this is so important for what we're talking about, what we want to see. So how can we create an environment of acceptance at ABC? Why do we need an environment of acceptance? We need an environment of acceptance because we are a diverse people. We come from different backgrounds. And let me tell you this, church, we want to see more and more diversity in the future. We will see that, and we want it to be a part of our church culture here at Alberta Baptist Church, to see people from all walks of life who can come in here and feel like Alberta Baptist Church is a place where I can belong. It's a place where I matter. So that's the kind of environment we want to create. The scripture tells us how. Let's look at, at verse 1, Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Now we who are, who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses or infirmities of those without strength. And as we said last week, we're not talking about just kind of grinning, grinning and bearing it or tolerating other people. Tolerance is not what we're talking about when we bear the weaknesses of others. We're talking about supporting, caring, encouraging, and helping those who are struggling. Helping those who are struggling. So Paul says in verse one there, for we no longer, no longer, not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good and to his edification. So uh, we no longer live just to please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. So a place to belong is a place where we sacrifice personal agendas. We no longer live just to please ourselves. What we're talking about here is the joy that we find when we lay aside our desires and we put the needs of others first. We seek to build them up, as the scripture says, to edify them in the body of Christ. So we see a young couple, we see a young single adult come into our fellowship and we come alongside them. We get to know them as, as Kobe mentioned, our life groups. You know, again, a perfect place to get to know people is in our Sunday school ministry. Those are small groups. Well, somebody said, well, I don't like small groups. You were born into a small group. <laughs> It may just be you and your mama, but you were born into a small group. Small groups are where we get to know one another. Sunday school, life group. But as we see, we, we come alongside and we lay aside because, you know, it takes a lot. It costs us a lot of emotional capital to invest in the life of other people. So we sacrifice our personal agendas. We want to build them up. 
And as I was thinking about this this week, the greatest example of this to me, of sacrificing your personal agenda, the greatest example to me is a mother. What does a mama do? Man, she gets up all hours of the night. She sacrifices her personal agenda. And, and I don't want to make a simple, I mean, a complicated issue simple, but many times abortion comes into the picture because this is not convenient. This is not convenient. And again, I'm not trying to oversimplify a complicated issue, but a mother is one who is willing to sacrifice her personal agenda for the good of a helpless individual. Mamas, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for demonstrating that to the church. If we ever wonder what this is like, just think about your mother. As a matter of fact, Paul said that to the church at Thessalonica. Thessalonica. But we, it's easy for you to say, but we prove, Paul says to the church, we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. You know, that, that's sacrificing your personal agenda as a mother caring for her own children. So a place to belong is where we sacrifice our personal agenda. The place to belong is where we strive to follow the example of Christ. Notice what Paul says there in verse three. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ sacrificed his own personal agenda. Our desire as a church is to be Christ-like. That's what Paul said in Philippians. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we said last week, the Christian life is, is, is not simply trying to be like Jesus. We could never be like Jesus. Fortunately, God gives us the Holy Spirit. Christ is in us. But Paul points here, it makes a great point. If we're going to sacrifice our personal agenda, do it the way Christ did. He made the ultimate sacrifice. For the joy set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. So if we're going to be an accepting, loving environment, we want to accept others. We want to put our sacrifice, our personal agenda so that we can invest in the life of other people as Christ has done for us. So fourthly, a place where we submit to the authority of God's word. We see this in verse four. This is again, a review from last Sunday. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. This is what makes the church unique. Scripture is our authority. Scripture is our authority. There are a couple of things I wanted to say about this last week that I didn't take the time to, but do you know there are many people on the outside who think that the Bible is the reason that we are not loving and accepting? Now, now let me say that again. There are people out there who totally misunderstand the message of Scripture, and they think, you know, the Bible is a book that contains a list of do's and don'ts. And I could never go to church because I can't meet their standards. 
I could never go to church because, you know, I can't, I can't even keep the 10 commandments. Good for you. I can't either. The 10 commandments tell me that I, I'm a lawbreaker and whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point is guilty of all. I'm guilty. I need a savior. And so the law points me to one who sets me free, who forgives me in spite of my sin. So there are people out there who think that the scripture makes us narrow-minded. Now, I'm not so narrow-minded a gnat can sit on my nose and kick both my eyes out, but I am aware of the power of the scripture. The scripture is our authority, okay? And so there are people who think, well, the scripture makes us narrow-minded. No, it doesn't. The scripture is the, the way that God teaches us to be loving and accepting. We're to accept one another the way Christ has accepted us, which we're coming to in just a moment. But the Bible is our authority. If the scripture makes us less loving, if the scripture makes us less accepting, then we have misread and misapplied the scripture. We have missed the whole message of the Bible. If you use scripture as a reason to shut somebody out, to cut somebody off, then you have misread, misapplied, misinterpreted the entire message of the scripture. Because, you know, to oversimplify again, this is God's love letter to us. To tell us how we can be accepted. To tell us, first of all, that we are accepted. And that we are more loved than we could ever imagine. That's the message of the scripture. So, in John's gospel, we mentioned this last week and I think it bears repeating. When John saw Jesus... When John saw Jesus, he said, we saw his glory. The glory is of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. It's God's grace, Ephesians 1, 7, that has been lavished on us. God's grace transforms this fellowship into a loving environment. Jesus was full of grace, but he was also full of truth. And it's the truth of the scripture that makes this an environment that will transform the world, that transform the world. Now for some here today, and I realize this, the, the greatest transformation needed is to be, for your life to be transformed. That's what God's word does. It communicates to you that you are more loved than you could ever imagine. God's truth can transform your life. And you join with us together as we endeavor to transform the world through the preaching of the gospel locally, you know, nationally, internationally. It's the truth of the gospel that will transform the world. So a place to belong. We're going to catch up. This is where we are this morning. Verse five. Let me read to you verses five through seven. This is where we're going to concentrate. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind and with one another, with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, we pray that you would grant us, grant us to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ, so that we may with one voice glorify you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. A place to belong is a place where we seek God's grace. Verse five, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. 
Here in verse five, Paul just breaks out in prayer. He's been teaching. This is the kind of environment you need to have. You need to, to submit, you know, set aside your own personal agenda. Don't live to please yourself. Bear with one another. You ought to because of love. Now he just breaks out into prayer. Why? Because Paul recognizes, as we must recognize, that everything we've talked about so far can only be accomplished by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Let me just give you my definition of grace. I heard years ago, we know grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. But to me, grace is even more personal than that. God's grace is a dynamic force. It's power. Stand strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. We're saved by grace. God's grace is a dynamic power given to us by God to live life God's way. To live life God's way. By the grace of God, that's the power God gives us to do what must be done. Many things that we are called to do are not easy, amen? To forgive, that's the most important thing that God asks us to do. Forgiveness is the hardest thing God asks us to do. Only by the grace of God can we ever truly forgive. So God gives us a grace, but what we need, we need God's power in this fellowship to be the kind of fellowship that God wants us to be. So none of this will happen by human effort. None of the things we've talked about. Paul recognizes that in verse, four, five, verse five there, that the perseverance and encouragement that we receive is given to us by God through his scriptures. He also recognizes that the unity or being of one mind that we want so desperately also is granted to us. It's a gracious gift of God. So what we seek to create here really is the work of God's grace in our lives and it's evidenced corporately. God is at work in each one of us and when we come together, hey, it's different because of God's grace, God's power. Again, we said earlier, we cannot create unity. It's a gift of God, it's a gift of the Spirit. We pray for the unity of our church. We ask God to make it an environment of loving acceptance. And why do we do that? Jesus did. Think about you know, the Lord's Prayer, now lay me down. No, that's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, our Father. You know, the Lord's Prayer really is in John 17. John 17. And Jesus prayed there in verse 23. Jesus prayed that they may be perfected in unity. That they may be perfected in unity. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. What we're talking about this morning and again next Sunday is so important. I, I want to encourage you. When you pray for our church, our unity, our acceptance of one another should be at the top of your list when you pray for Alberta Baptist Church. I want you to pray for the mission of our church. I want you to pray for the ministry of our church. But let me tell you, church, that is not going to happen if we don't have a loving, caring, accepting environment. Jesus said, so that the world may know. May we be one so that the world may know. I don't care what kind of mission strategy we've got. I don't care what kind of mission fund we've got. The world will never know, according to Jesus, if we're not of one mind together. We rely on God's grace to do this, to transform us into a loving, accepting environment. And when he does, he gets the glory. He gets the glory. This is a kind of place, it's no ordinary place. 
As we sing, this is a kind of place that it's a supernatural work of God. Now think about it. Only God could bring people from all racial backgrounds, economic backgrounds, intellectual levels. Only God could do that. Only God could do that. I mean, you look around this morning. I mean, we have people here from all walks of life. We have graduate students. We have professors. We have people from all walks of life. But we got folks, we're just common, ordinary folks. Only God could do that. And all are accepted. How do they be accepted? We accept one another the way Christ accepted us. This kind of place is no ordinary place. It's a supernatural work of God. Why? So that with one accord, Paul says, look at that. Verse six, so that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that as these things happen, he'll create a place where we share together to the glory of God through Christ. Psalm 34, three, listen to this, or look at this. I think we've got it. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's the psalmist's invitation for worship. Well, look at what Paul says in verse six. So that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're of of the same mind, when we're loving, accepting one another, our worship is gonna be different. Our worship is gonna be different. Now, Now, I hope that you understand that the church is not the only place you can worship. I I encourage you, I strongly encourage you to find a place, to set aside a time. My place when I was in school was at the university. I lived in Bright Hall. It was the study room. No athletes ever went there. And I would go in the study room and I had a chair that I turned around and that was my place of worship every day. Find a place, find a time for your personal time of worship, okay? Okay. And that's so important in your development, your growth as a Christian. But let me tell you something else. Your time of corporate worship is also important according to the scriptures. We do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So our desire is to have an environment of praise and worship so that we can gather here from all walks of life, all races, all economic backgrounds, and we can unite. Look at, look at verse six. We can unite and share with one voice in praise and glory to God. Let me ask you this morning, what does that look like? What does that look like when we gather with one voice, glorify the God, with, according to, that we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? What does that look like? With one voice? I don't know. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like heaven to me, Brother John. With one voice that we can praise the Lord together. Wouldn't it be great to have a little bit of heaven here on earth? That we lay aside our differences. We come alongside our brothers and we love and support them. We sacrifice our personal agenda. We desire to be Christ-like and accepting everyone. We're doing this according to the authority of the scripture. By God's grace, recognizing that only God's work can do this in our life. And then we gather together for the glory of God. Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't it be great to be known as a church 
Their focus is on the glory of God. Obviously, the key to creating an environment of love and acceptance is our desire and the necessity of keeping our focus on the glory of God. It's not on Pastor Colby. It's not on Pastor Keith. It's not on Alberta Baptist Church. It's on the glory of God. Tim Keller says, unity is a supernatural gift. God gives unity as you follow Christ. Real unity does not come when we seek it, when we seek it directly. Rather, unity is a byproduct of seeking something other than unity, namely seeking to follow Christ. When we're all moving in the same direction, that's where unity comes from. But let me just kind of throw it out. Where, where are we in these areas? Have we, can we check them off? We're supporting one another. We're sacrificing our personal agendas. We're seeking to follow the example of Christ. We're submitting to the authority of the scripture. Can we check those things off? No, because we're not there. We're not there. As I like to say, it's not the perfection of your life. It's the direction of your life, okay? Because none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. But as Paul said in Philippians, not that we have attained or have already become perfect, but we press on. Why do we press on? So that we may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, Pastor Colby likes the New American Standard in Romans 15, 7. I like, you shared this somewhere the other day from Philippians in the ESV. So that the New American Standard says, so that I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. ESV says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Wow. He loves me. He loves, excuse me, I forgot that song. It's still running in my head. He made me his own. Man, what a reason, what a motivation to be loving and accepting to other people, all people, because Jesus has made me his own. You know, I have some great friends here, great people, but none of you know me, the inside me. Only God knows me. And Jesus made me his own. Talking about loving and acceptance. But my point is we're not there yet, but we are pressing on. We're pressing on. We seek this type of environment because we belong to Jesus. And the gospel is worth it. The gospel is worth it. All right, coming to point number two. How are we accepted? How does Christ accept us? Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Colby yesterday did a great job of talking to our small group leadership about the differences between welcoming and accepting. The difference between having space for people and making space for people. In church, there's a world of difference. And again, you'll hear more about this next Sunday, but we have said many times, as you heard this morning, we want to be the most welcoming place on University Boulevard. But you know, sometimes welcoming can be superficial. We can smile and, man, we're glad you're here today. But are we really accepting? To me, I think, you know, welcoming can be superficial, whereas to really genuinely accept someone is, is more of the heart. It's more of the spirit. Do we really welcome or just accept them? Do we make them feel like they belong? 
And again, we may have space in our classroom, in our small group for more people, but do we have space for them in our world, in our heart? Do we have space for them and their differences? Kobe mentioned a couple of these outsiders, people who have never come to church before, unbelievers, skeptics, people who are really hurting, you know, the down and outs and the up and outs that we got both kinds in Tuscaloosa. You know, do we really, we may, we can have space, do we, but we, do we make space for them in our class, in our gathering? And that'll never happen until we make space within our own heart. So how does Christ accept us? Paul says, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. You know, we could go hours and hours and I won't, but I thought of three things and then we'll be done. How does Christ accept us? He accepts us joyfully. Jesus says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus says that we are accepted joyfully. Therefore, we accept one another joyfully. Again, we don't just learn to tolerate one another. We accept one another lovingly and joyfully. That person in your Sunday school class, that person maybe even in your own family, (laughs) we joyfully, by God's grace, remember, we joyfully accept them and welcome them into our family, into our world. We accept one another lovingly and joyfully. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a series of parables about lost things. You don't have to turn there, but there was a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then ultimately there was a lost son. You remember that? Each time the missing object or person was found, there was what? Tell me. A what? A party, (laughs) a celebration. The guy lost his sheep, so he left 99. And he went to find that one lost sheep. And when he found it, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, let's party. He says, rejoice with me. I found my sheep, which was lost. A woman lost a coin. Now, let me just say this. Of all of scripture, I can relate to that. I hate to lose something. (laughs) My two pet peeves are to lose something and be late. Okay. But I hate to, if I lose something, I'm obsessed. We used to give our kids a $5 reward if they could find the TV remote. I hated to lose it. I think KJ hit it many times just to get five bucks. But I don't like to lose things, okay? So I can understand this. I enjoy finding things. So that's what the Bible says. Whenever the lady found her lost coin, she said, rejoice to me for I found the coin which was lost. When the prodigal son returns, the father said, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. Joy is the theme of these parables. And so the Bible says that Christ accepts us joyfully. But think about that prodigal. When someone who comes to us and they've squandered their money on loose living, somebody comes to us And they may still smell like they're in the pig pen. How do we accept them? You know, when the prodigal returned, not everybody was happy, was he? The fatted calf wasn't very happy. And the older brother. Now, let me tell you, so many times in the church, we're like the older brother. The older brother was quick to condemn. 
He had a critical spirit. The Bible says he became angry. He wouldn't go in the party. He isolated himself. Things just didn't go his way. He had not learned the secret of living not just to please yourself. And so as we think about our church and as we think about being accepting and accepting other people as Christ has accepted us, are we going to be like the compassionate father? Are we going to be like the critical older brother? If we're like the critical brother, it'll never happen. We've got to learn to accept those who have squandered their money on loose living. We've got to learn to accept those and love those joyfully who spent some time in the pig pen. They may not smell like us. My dad was a truck driver growing up and I loved to see my dad come home when he'd come in from Kansas or Texas. But when he, he called cattle and his trailer had to be cleaned when he got home. So I loved to see my dad coming, but I hated to know I got to take a shovel and get in that trailer and clean out that. It was a double decker, fun, fun, twice the fun. And when my brother and I got through, we didn't smell very good. First thing mom would do is wash us down with the water hose before we came in the house. You know, we don't have a water hose out front of Alberta Baptist Church. We're not going to water down, wash down those who smell like they've been in the pig pen. Why? Because God didn't do that to me. God didn't do that to you. We're not going to do that to those who have squandered their money on loose living, who spent time in the pig pen. Jesus accepts us joyfully. There's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So we accept one another joyfully. He accepts us unconditionally. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One of the most common questions that was asked to the disciples about Jesus. Why is your teacher eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he do that? Because he accepted people unconditionally. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus walked the streets of Alberta City, where would he be spending most of his time? Who would he be reaching out to or hanging out with if Jesus walked our community? He accepts us unconditionally. He did me. And if you're a believer, he did the same thing for you. So we need to do that for others. He accepts us impartially, regardless of our background. Therefore, we accept one another impartially. Romans 2.11 says there is no partiality with God. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of James, second chapter, James comes down pretty hard on a church who showed partiality. Are you not committing sin? It's a sin. God shows no partiality with us. We show no partiality with one another. Rich or poor, black or white, educated or uneducated, there's no partiality with God. And there should be none whatsoever in our church fellowship. Again, we can only do this by his grace. And when we do it, it's ultimately for his glory, not ours. Accepting others as Christ has accepted us will not be possible without constantly reminding ourselves of the gospel. How did God accept me? How can I accept other people the way Christ accepted me? Oh, I remember the gospel. Christ accepted me as a sinner. Our justification through the gospel means that we are accepted in spite of our sin, our weaknesses and our flaws. And that's the way we want to accept other people. If we don't remember this, 
We will not be able to accept others with their weaknesses and flaws. When I talk to people who say, you know, I can't forgive that person. I quickly realize it's not that I can't, it's I won't. I will not forgive that person. And when I talk to somebody who says, I will not forgive, you know what they've done? They have forgotten the gospel. They have forgotten the gospel. Tim Keller says, in fact, the way you can tell how much you understand the gospel is to look at how much you love people in spite of their flaws. The gospel reminds us that we can come to Christ just as we are. Jesus said in John 6, 37, the one who comes to me, I certainly will not cast out. Will you join with me in praying by God's grace that God would make this church an environment, a place for people to belong, a people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, a place where people cannot just be tolerated but be lovingly accepted by God's grace to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your word this morning. Lord, we see the challenge.